Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogenia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, March 5th, 2016. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Tonight we are going to present probably, I, I believe it was, Joseph Goebbels' last speech along with many of our own comments, and we're going to call this presentation Girl's Hope from a Christian Identity Perspective. Last night we made a presentation titled The Kingdom of Heaven or the Elections of Man. First, we must apologize for the bandwidth problems which we had experienced, which were unforeseen and beyond our control. We pray that we do not have that problem this evening. In our last presentation here, a week ago, we discussed Hitler's war from a Christian identity perspective and presented his last public speech. This presentation will continue some of the themes discussed in both of those prior programs, last night and last week. We originally planned to make a medley of Goebbels' last speeches, but instead decided to present what we think was his final speech as we presented Hitler's final public speech last week. Goebbels had one article which followed this one, this speech, by two days, entitled Resistance at Any Price. We will probably present that at some point in the future. Presenting Hitler's war from a Christian identity perspective here last week, we saw that Adolf Hitler had correctly identified the war that he was waging as a war for blood and race, and that the Jews wanted to destroy German racial integrity as well as desiring to control Germany and all the world economically. Hitler also correctly saw Bolshevism as a partner of capitalism in the Jewish plan for world domination. So, from a Christian identity perspective, with what we profess to know, we must recognize that Hitler's war is also our war, and that it is still being fought even though the battle is not by the same means. The ancient children of Israel were sent off into punishment nearly 3,000 years ago for having forsaken their God. And in that punishment, they grew into what became the later European society. We have no doubt that the Germanic and related nations are indeed the children of Israel who are destined to be reconciled to their God in Christ, whether they're going to like it or not. Those same children of Israel were also warned that only their God could deliver them from their enemies. That, too, is the purpose of the New Covenant, where it says, in part, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, as we may read in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And while the New Testament scriptures offer a blueprint which describes the path to that salvation, they have not yet been faithfully followed by men. And even then, 
they do not provide for any hope of that deliverance from the hands of men. As Yahweh said in Isaiah chapter 42, And I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not, and I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them, and crooked things straight. These things I will do unto them, and not forsake them. Adolf Hitler fought the right war, and he fought it out of immediate necessity. There is a greater lesson for our race in that war, but it was not necessarily fought in the way by which our God has determined the path of our salvation. We can pontificate all we want as to how and why Hitler's Germany suffered the defeat which it did, since it certainly appears to have fought on the side of righteousness, which we also believe. But understanding the scripture, our deliverance cannot come at the hands of a man not even a godly man such as Adolf Hitler. When God gives a people up to punishment, no man is going to save us from Satan. When we turn to our God, the promise is that he will deliver us. So with everything in which Hitler was right, we have a lesson. And where Hitler failed, we have a much more important lesson. But we will also fail unless we take that lesson to heart. Last night we attempted to express the challenges and troubles which would come if men want to free themselves from the satanic grip of world Jewry and the futility of putting our hopes in an American politician. That politician may spark the flames of war once again. And perhaps, if we repent of our sins, our God shall deliver us. But the politician himself will certainly not be our Savior. So before we begin tonight, we must make a clarification. We are not promoting the idea that we should ever imitate the hope which Joseph Goebbels had in Adolf Hitler. But on the other hand, if we are ever to prevail, we must have that same hope and more in Jesus Christ. And this is where we can find encouragement in Joseph Goebbels. He also understood the nature of the beast which National Socialist Germany had tried in vain to overcome. He correctly believed that Germany was on the side of righteousness and that Germany was waging a war against Satan himself. Identity Christians should agree with all of these things, or they are wanting in their studies and are still being misled by that same Satan. Now the enemies of our race and of our God label Joseph Goebbels as a liar and as a fraud, but in the end, history will reveal that Goebbels was true and that his propaganda was indeed designed to disseminate truths and not lies. So those enemies falsely depict the hope which Goebbels had, very consistently expressed right up to the end of the war. 
However, the truth is that Joseph Goebbels was indeed a man of faith who actually believed that righteousness and justice would prevail. So for that reason, he believed right up to the end that Adolf Hitler would lead Germany to victory in the war. That because Germany was on the side of justice, that it would indeed have the favor of God. For our illustration of all this, we shall read the speech made by Joseph Goebbels only 18 days before the Allies had declared victory in Europe. This speech was entitled Our Hitler, and a similar speech was made every year while the National Socialists were in power. This particular speech was made on April 20th, 1945. The translation, which we read tonight, is found at the German Propaganda Archive at Calvin University, a source which is not friendly to the National Socialist cause. This is Our Hitler, Goebbels' 1945 speech on Hitler's 56th birthday. This source, according to our own source, was printed in most of the remaining German newspapers on the 20th of April, 1945. Of course, Germany was under siege. Much of its territory had already been taken by the Americans, by the, by the Soviets, by this time. And the war was practically at a close. German citizens, at the moment of the war when, so it seems, all forces of hate and destruction had been gathered once again, perhaps for the final time, in the West, in the East, the Southeast, and the South, seeking to break through our front and give the death blow to the Reich, I once again speak to the German people on the eve of April 20th about the Fuhrer just as I have done every year since 1933. That has happened at good times and bad in the past, but never before did things stand on such a knife's edge. Never before did the German people have to defend their very lives under such enormous danger. Never before did the Reich have to draw on its last strength to protect its threatened self. Times such as these are rare in history. They are unique and unparalleled for the fighting generation that must survive them. Historical events of similar nature and extent fade in our memory under the pain that we bear, under the sorrows that almost overwhelm us, under tortured questions about our own future and that of our brave, sorely tested people. This is not the time to speak of the Fuhrer's birthday in the usual way, or to present him with the usual best wishes. More must be said today, and by one who was who has won the right both from the Fuhrer and the people. I have been at the Fuhrer's side for more than twenty years. I have seen his rise and that of his movement from the smallest and most improbable beginnings up to the seizure of power, and gave my best efforts to them as well 
and I wonder if the translator had other choices there other than seizure because national socialism came to rise in Germany by democratic plebiscite and later by a astounding majority vote. I have shared joy and sorrow with the Führer from unprecedented historic victories to the terrible setbacks in the remarkable years from 1939 until now. I stand beside him today as fate challenges him and his people with its last most severe test. I am confident that fate will give him and his people the laurel wreath of victory. The fact that Germany yet lives, that Europe and the civilized world have not yet fallen into the dark abyss that looms before us is thanks to him alone. And of course, Goebbels will qualify that later. He will be the man of the century, who was sure of himself despite terrible pain and suffering, who showed the way to victory. He is the only one who remained true to himself, who did not cheaply sell his faith and his ideals, who always and without doubt followed his straight path toward his goal. That goal may today be hidden behind the piles of rubble that our hate-filled enemies have wrought across our once-proud continent, but which will once again shine before our burning eyes. Once the rubble has been cleared. And here we see exhibitions, even though he doesn't give the credit to God, he gives it to Adolf Hitler. Here we see exhibitions of the hope which Goebbels maintained in the face of despair. As we hope to have demonstrated here recently, Hitler's goal certainly continues to lie before us, and the hope which Goebbels exhibited endures to this day, but not in the way Goebbels may have expected it. But what is more important a point to make is that Goebbels portrays Hitler, who from his humble beginnings in the early 1920s and up to the precipice of defeat in 1945, as a man who had maintained the same course of action and was driven by the same determination and conviction in pursuit of the same ideals which he had always espoused, Hitler was consistent. Of course, Hitler was not perfect, but his objectives and convictions were consistent from the beginning of his, his career to the end. Unlike the vast majority of politicians, and all of our politicians today, all of our politicians running right now for President of the United States, who can and have many times in their own pasts changed course on a whim, who have few firm convictions, if any at all, and no clear vision of who they are, of where they came from, of where they are going, and of what they should stand for. And that counts every single one of them. They're all just political whores selling themselves out to the Jews on Wall Street.
They only stand for whatever vain ideas they think are popular with their supporters at any given time. Adolf Hitler, on the other hand, wrote a voluminous book called Mein Kampf, wrote it while he was imprisoned in the early 1920s, and stayed by the principles which it outlined until the very end. Goebbels continues, Times like those we experience today demand more of a leader than insight, wisdom, and drive. They demand a toughness and endurance, a steadfastness of heart and soul that appear only rarely in history, but that, when they do appear, produce the most admirable achievements of human genius. Burkhardt said in his Observations on World History, the fates of people and of states, of entire civilizations, can depend on whether an extraordinary person can bring forth the proper strength of soul and action. Normal minds and spirits, no matter how numerous, cannot replace such a person. Who can deny that only the Fuhrer has the right to feel these words applied to him and his deed in our and many coming generations. What can enemy statesmen say in response? They have nothing but superior numbers. Their stupid and insane destructiveness and their diabolical lust for annihilation behind which lurk the chaos of the collapse of civilized humanity. What has come of their loud and emotional thesis of happiness? What of their Atlantic Charter and their four freedoms? Only hunger, misery, pestilence, and mass death. A whole raped part of the earth cries out against them. Once flourishing cities and villages in every nation of Europe have been transformed into fields of craters, and hundreds of thousands, even millions of women and children in the north, east, and southeast of the continent sigh and weep under the raging scourge of Bolshevism. The objectives of the so-called Four Freedoms outlined in the 1941 State of the Union Address by Franklin Roosevelt were only another political ploy by which to lure the innocent masses to their own enslavement. After the war, and to this very day, nobody in Europe has the freedom of speech, of worship, from want or from fear. In fact, much of Europe was handed over to the Soviets after the war and had experienced little but oppression, starvation. While to this day there is no real freedom of speech anywhere in Europe, they were just empty ideals, empty words of another American plutocrat. Likewise, the objectives outlined in the Atlantic Charter, which was really only a joint policy statement issued by Britain and America in August of 1941, were also disregarded by the Allies even before 1945, long before 1945. They were disregarded by the Allies with the Marshall Plan. 
Continuing with Goebbels, where he rather justly refers to National Socialist Germany, he says, The most shining culture the earth has ever seen sinks in ruins and leaves only memories of the greatness of an age destroyed by satanic powers. The peoples are shaken by the most severe economic and social crises, which are but foretastes of the terrible events to come. Our enemies claim that the Führer's soldiers marched as conquerors through the lands of Europe, but wherever they came, they brought prosperity and happiness, peace, order, reliable conditions, a plenitude of work, and therefore a decent life. Our enemies claim their soldiers came to the lands as liberators, but wherever they come, there is poverty and misery, chaos, devastation and destruction, unemployment, hunger, and mass death. And what remains of their so-called freedom is a life that no one would dare call decent even in the darkest corners of Africa. In truth, throughout the East, the German armies were seen by the common people as liberators all the way to the borders of Russia. But the Soviet forces, recapturing lost territory, left the path of destruction and reasserted Bolshevik tyranny. Goebbels continues... Here is a clear, broad outline of a program of construction that has proved itself useful, humane, and beneficial, positive, and forward-looking. In its own, as well as in all the other lands of Europe, it stands against the fantasies of Jewish plutocratic Bolshevist destruction. Here stands a man, sure of himself, having a clear and firm will against the unnatural coalition of enemy statesmen, who are only the lackeys and tools of this world conspiracy. Europe once had the choice between these two. It chose concealed anarchy, and must today pay for its mistake with a million-fold agony. It will not have much time any more to choose its fate a second time. It is a matter of life or death. The concealed anarchy to which Goebbels refer refers seems to be a reference to the revolutions of the 19th century, where the Jews had already begun to gain control of the European governments. It may instead be a reference to the concessions of Germany in November of 1918. Now, as Goebbels asserts, if Europe is to maintain its nature in 1945, it must fight to the death. We now see the fruits of Germany's defeat, as Goebbels had outlined. As all Europe is being overrun with aliens, and many Germans are even inviting them. At the same time, inviting the final destruction of European culture and racial integrity. It took over 60 years after the end of the last great war to culminate, but the way we could see it today, Germany's defeat is finally final if the current policies endure for any period of time into the future.
Continuing with Goebbels, a British newspaper wrote a few days ago that the result of the insane policies of the enemy powers would surely be a revolution of the European peoples against the Anglo-American plutocracy, which still rules over Germany, and that Hitler was the man who was hindered by the same plutocracy through an unholy alliance with Asiatic Bolshevism as he began to bring Europe political and economic happiness. That is how it is, and nothing can whitewash our plutocratic enemies of their crimes. And of course he's referring to Churchill and Roosevelt and all of the members of their respective governments who were nothing but plutocrats and who were being manipulated by the same Jewish bankers that founded Bolshevism and financed Trotsky and Lenin. This never happened as Goebbels wished, because after the war Europe was immediately divided into two camps, each camp being oppressed by its conquerors in different ways and a false dichotomy of a cold war between capitalists and communists kept all of the West distracted for 50 years. It is only recently that we have seen any real public awareness of the nature of the Anglo-American plutocracy. In the meantime, the crimes of this plutocracy had been magnified many times beyond even what Goebbels had witnessed. Next, Goebbels rather appropriately characterizes the nature of the battle, and he says, opposing this apparently all-powerful coalition of destructive satanic forces brings with it tests and burdens of superhuman nature, but that is not dishonorable, the opposite in fact, to bravely accept a battle that is unavoidable and inescapable, to wage it in the name of divine providence, in the name of God, to have confidence in it and its eventual blessing, to stand before fate with a pure conscience and clean hands, to bear all suffering and every test, never even thinking of being untrue to one's historic mission, never wavering even in the most difficult hours of the final battle. That is not only manly, it is also German in the best sense of the word. Would our people not accept this task and not fight for it as if it were the word of God. It would not deserve to live, meaning the people would not deserve to live any longer and would lose any possibility of further life. To describe the challenges which identity Christians should be willing to face today, not that we will in this generation, but which we should certainly be willing to face, I cannot do better than Joseph Goebbels did here. Today, 
we should understand that the battle against these same satanic world powers is indeed the word of God. It is a battle which Christians everywhere should be willing to embrace. Once we understand that only identity Christians are truly Christian at all, and even though in the present age the real fighting has not yet begun, if we are not willing to face this battle, how could we deserve to live? From Revelation chapter 2, and under the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works, and tribulation, and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them who say they are Jews, these modern Jews today, and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan, because they're not Israelites at all. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. From Revelation chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David. He that opens, and no man shuts, and shuts, and no man opens. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, or they say they are Judeans, and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. As identity Christians, we claim to understand the anointing of God, the true brotherly love which we should have for all of those of our own white Adamic race. The, the word Smyrna means anointing, and the word Philadelphia means brotherly love. Therefore, it is no mistake that these two churches were the only ones of the seven which were not criticized for wrongdoing. It is also no mistake that these two churches had the same message concerning the Jews, that they really were not Jews at all, meaning in Greek that they really were not Judeans at all. They were infiltrators 
of the synagogue of Satan. They were not the people of God. That is today's Jews. Therefore, we must face the battle which we are offered in the hour of temptation, and we will indeed have the crown. Goebbels continues discussing Germany's share of this battle, and he says, What we experience today is the last act of a powerful drama that began on August 1st, 1914, and which we Germans gave up on November 9th, 1918, just before the end. That is why we had to begin again on September 1st, 1939. What we hope to spare ourselves in November 1918, we have paid for two or threefold today. There is no escape unless the German people surrenders any kind of decent human life and is ready for to forever live in a way that would shame even the most primitive African tribes. And of course, Goebbels is... Goebbels is right on the money about that because the German people have lived as conquered people ever since 1945. And today they're being shamed because not even the most primitive African tribes would just allow other African tribes to run them over without a fight. Yet, the Germans are inviting tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of African niggers to run Germany over. And not only are they not fighting, half of them are loving it. November 11, 1918 marks the armistice signed between the Allies of World War One and, and Imperial Germany. But on November 9th, the date Goebbels mentions here, Prince Maximilian of Baden, Chancellor of the Reich, betrayed the Emperor, Wilhelm II, and he betrayed him, and handed over power to the Novemberists under Frederick Ebert, which was the beginning of the Weimar Republic. Germany immediately, with that transfer of power, conceded defeat to the Allies, but had never lost a battle on German soil. Rather, as Goebbels expresses here, the Germans gave up the fight. Many Germans, as Goebbels expressed here, thought that Germany was on the verge of victory and not defeat. Prince Maximilian was acting on the offer of peace made, allegedly acting, I should say. There may have been a few Jews in the back room. He was acting on the offer of peace made in Woodrow Wilson's famous 14 Points. However, that seems to have been a ploy, a Jewish bait-and-switch, just like the Jewish electronics merchant does to you. He puts one television on sale and tries to sell you another one at a much higher profit when you get to the store. The 14 points was a Jewish bait-and-switch, because as soon as Germany conceded, Wilson turned his back on his own ideals, betraying Germany into the hands of the British and French and the oppressive Treaty of Versailles, which the Novemberists agreed to. The National Socialists rightly saw all of this as a betrayal of Germany, and they sought to reverse it. But 
Goebbels rightly attests here that if Germany had continued the fight in 1918, that it would not have faced the much more difficult battle against much greater odds in 1939. So the Germans who sought their own comfort and safety in 1918 were primarily responsible for the Second Great War. Of course Goebbels was right. Neither neither the United States nor the Soviet Union were as great a threat to Germany in 1918 than they were 20 years later. Those decades gave the plutocrats the opportunity to build up their own military capacity to consolidate their power in the Soviet Union, by which they overcame Germany. However, In 1918, Germany certainly had a better opportunity to defeat Britain and France and deal with the Bolsheviks afterward. Today we have a similar situation in the West. People want to elect a politician who will only maintain the status quo. That's what the Weimar Republic did. It gave Germans the easiest, most comfortable way out of the war without standing up to the fight. Today, people want to elect a politician who will only maintain the status quo so that they can dwell in their own comfort as our Western nations slowly fall into decay. Doing this, they are much like those Germans who sold out the Kaiser in 1918, who preferred economic slavery to the hardship of fighting for their liberty. Now we have Weimar Republics all over the place because Christians would rather compromise with Satan and the devils who rule over us get more and more powerful. Continuing with Goebbels. If it is manly and German as Führer of a great and brave people to holy depend on oneself in his struggle, relying on one's own strength and certainty, as well as the help of God in the face of an enemy who threatens with overwhelming numbers to fight rather than to capitulate, then it is just as manly and German for a people to follow such a Fuhrer unconditionally and loyally, without excuse or reservation, to shake off all feelings of weakness and uncertainty, to trust in the good star that is above him and us all. This is all the more true when that star at times is covered by a black cloud. Misfortune must not make us cowardly, but rather resistant, never giving a mocking watching world, the appearance of wavering, rather than hoisting the white flag of surrender that the enemy expects, raise the old swastika banner of a fanatic and wild resistance, renewing the oath that we swore so often in the happy and safe days of peace, meaning the six years from 1933 to 1949. I'm sorry, 1939. Thanking God again and again that he gave us a true leader for these terrible times, feeling bound in our hearts to his sorrows and trials, thus showing the enemy world that they can wound, 
but not kill us, that they could beat us bloody, but not force us down, torture us, but not demoralize us. The victors of the war, in all of their propaganda, disguising the true nature of the battle, have not informed us that the Soviet Union, right from the beginning, had planned and even boasted that it would make Bolshevik states out of every nation in Europe. They were attempting this as early as 1918, 1919, and continued to make such threats and advances throughout the 1920s and 30s. Adolf Hitler launched a strike against Russia because Stalin was preparing to invade Germany, hoping to fulfill the threats that the Bolsheviks had been making for two decades. Here Goebbels speaks as if all Germans understood that, because they did, even if those facts are still overlooked in the West. So both so Goebbels states, or he asks, is there a single German who disagrees? And then referring to his own time. After six years of battle, could our people debase itself so low as to forget honor and duty, surrendering in the turmoil of the moment, its holy and inalienable right to its great future, for a pot of soup. Who would dare suggest that? Who holds us in such contempt that he believes that now, just as we stand before the final and decisive round of the war, we would be untrue to all our sworn ideals, that we would throw all our hopes for the future of the Reich overboard, giving up in the midst of the confusion of misfortune that has overcome us on ourselves, our land and people, and the lives of our children and children's children. The world speaks of loyalty as a German virtue. How could our people have withstood the tests of this war without it? And how could it survive the war's coming end without it? For it is ending. The war is nearing its end. The insanity that the enemy powers have unleashed on humanity have gone beyond all bounds. The whole world feels only shame and disgust. The perverse coalition between plutocracy and Bolshevism is collapsing. Fate has taken the head of the enemy conspiracy. It is the same fate that the Fuhrer escaped on July 20th, 1944, amidst the dead, the wounded, and the ruins, so that he could finish his work through pain and trials, it is true, but nonetheless, as providence ordained. And of course, that's a reference to God. Roosevelt had died the week before this speech was given, so... Goebbels says that fate has taken the head of the enemy conspiracy. And Goebbels is contrasting his death to the failed assassination attempt on Hitler when a suitcase bomb was exploded at the wolf's lair, when Hitler rather miraculously survived the explosion with only minor injuries. It was seen as a blessing and an omen of success for the German war effort. What Goebbels omits here 
is that while loyalty is certainly a historic German trait, there were all there were already many German traders, especially amongst the higher-ranking officers, who had already sold Germany out to the British as early as D-Day. And of course, again in the assassination attempts against Hitler, and again at the end of the war in several other ways. Goebbels continues, Once more the armies of the enemy powers storm against our defensive fronts. Behind them is the slavering force of international Jewry that wants no peace until it has reached its satanic goal of world destruction. But its hopes are in vain, Goebbels the eternal optimist. As he has done so often before, God will throw Lucifer back into the abyss even as he stands before the gates of power over all the peoples. The kingdom will not be given over to another people. We still have this promise and we still have this Christian expectation, which Goebbels had right up to the end. He continues by referring to a man of truly timeless greatness, of unique courage, of a steadfastness that elevates the hearts of some and shakes those of others, will be his tool, meaning that, or having the hope that Adolf Hitler would be a tool in the hand of God to destroy Satan, who will maintain that this man can be found in the leadership of Bolshevism or plutocracy. No, the German people bore him. It chose him by free election, made him Fuhrer. It knows his works of peace and now wants to bear and fight the war that was forced upon him until its successful end. Here Goebbels properly characterized the world wars as the desire for world conquest by the satanic Jew. Therefore he believed that God would deliver Germany because Germany stood against Satan in the battle for humanity. Adolf Hitler often expressed this same understanding and characterized the international Jew in this same manner throughout his writings and speeches from the beginning of his career to the end. Of course, Hitler and Goebbels were right, but that alone <laughs> did not gain Germany the victory. Goebbels continues with his expressions of optimism by saying, within a few years after the war, Germany will flourish as never before. Its ruined landscapes and provinces will be filled with new, more beautiful, cities and villages in which happy people dwell. All of Europe will share in this prosperity. We will again be friends of all peoples of good will and will work together with them to repair the grave wounds that scar the face of our noble continent. Our daily bread will grow on rich fields of grain, stilling the hunger of the millions who starve 
and suffer today. There will be jobs in plenitude, the deepest source of human happiness, from which will come blessing and strength for all. Chaos will vanish. The underworld will not rule this part of the world, but rather order peace and prosperity. And of course Goebbels was still hoping for victory, and his hope was the hope that God would give them that victory. This is the hope that all identity Christians must have today, to withstand world jewelry and to seek the prosperity and the peace of God. Continuing with Goebbels, that was always our goal. It is our goal today. If the If the enemy powers had their way, humanity would drown in a sea of blood and tears. War would follow war, and revolution would follow revolution, finally destroying the last remnants of a world that was once beautiful and lovely, and that will be so again. And history has proved, and is proving, girls to be correct in this aspect as well. The Cold War, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Iraqi, Libyan, and Syrian Wars, the threatened wars today over the Ukraine and in Iran, the sexual revolution, the woman's feminist revolution, now the queer revolution, or whatever the hell you want to call this recent gay marriage LGBT trend. These revolutions, one after another after another, social revolutions, wars, the only reason why the Cold War did not culminate in war is because America voluntarily moved to Marxism under the prodding of the Jew-controlled media. If we had resisted Marxism in the 1950s and 60s, we would indeed have been fighting a global war with Russia in the 1970s. But we didn't resist. America didn't resist. So the Cold War ended cold to this day. Goebbels continues. But if we achieve our goals, the project of social construction begun in Germany in 1933, and which was rudely interrupted in 1939, will take up again with renewed strength. Other peoples will join in, not because we force them to, but rather of their own free will, because there is no other way out of a world crisis. Who could show the way save the Fuhrer? His work is the work of order. His enemies have only a devil's work of anarchy and devastation to set against his work. And here we must differ, because Christ has shown us the way. But because we forsook it once again, Germany and all the world are under the control of Satan. We can only turn to Christ for salvation, and until we do, all the efforts of men shall fail, even great men like the leaders of the Third Reich. Goebbels continues, German history is not rich in great statesmen. But where one has appeared, he 
usually had something to say and give, not only to his own people, but to the world. What would there be European about Europe had not German kaisers and kings, counts and generals, and their armies repeatedly withstood the onslaughts from the east, referring, of course, to Mongols, Turks, even the early Slavic onslaughts against the west. Usually only a disunited continent stood behind them that either did not understand or even fell upon Germany in the midst of its saving work for Europe, and the French especially, even allying themselves with the Turks against the Germans, especially in the time of Francis I. Goebbels asks, why should it be any different today? At the present state of things, which the war is just before, or perhaps even in the midst of, a peripetia, it is difficult to understand this great battle between peoples. And here Goebbels expresses the hope that Germany in this war is in the midst of a peripetia. A peripetia is a Greek word describing a sudden change of fortune. Right up to the end, Goebbels is, is, is expecting such a change of fortune in favor of Germany. Sadly, it never comes. He goes on to say, One thing, however, can no longer be disputed. If there had been no Adolf Hitler, if Germany had been led by a government like those in Finland, Bulgaria, or Romania, it would long since have become the prey of Bolshevism. Lenin once said, the path to world revolution leads through Poland and the Reich. Poland is already in the possession of the Kremlin, despite all the attempts of the Anglo-Americans to conceal it. If Germany had followed, or would follow, what would become of the rest of our continent? This was the plan of world Jewry since at least the dawn of the 19th century, to envelope Christendom in a dichotomy between democratic capitalism and Marxist communism, dividing and conquering for the ultimate ascendancy of world Jewry. And Goebbels continues, To ask the question is to answer it. The Soviets would probably already be at the Atlantic coast, and England, sooner or later, would receive its just reward for its betrayal of Europe that finds its most wretched expression in its marriage with Bolshevism. In the United States, too, one would soon think differently of the dreadful world phenomenon that a Jewish press entirely and fully conceals from the American public. And Goebbels is right on the money with that, too. The Jewish press was portraying the Soviet Union as a worker's paradise throughout the 1920s and 30s, concealing all of the crimes of the Bolsheviks. And in spite of the fact that official reports issued by the governments of the Britain and the United States 
betrayed that they were fully aware of both the horrific nature of Bolshevism and the Jewish nature of those who brought us Bolshevism. The British and Americans then allied themselves with Stalin against Germany, even though they were fully aware of the murderous nature of Stalin's regime in the Soviet Union and all the crimes against humanity which he had committed. But communism was, in fact, just another agent of the Rothschilds. Goebbels continues, If the world still lives, and not only our world, <coughs> excuse me, but the rest of it as well, whom has it to thank other than the Fuhrer? It may defame and slander him today, persecuting him with its base hatred, but it will have to revise this standpoint or bitterly regret it. He is the core of resistance to the collapse of the world, meaning the collapse of the world under the hand of the Jews. He is Germany's bravest heart and our people's most passionate will. I permit myself to make a judgment that must be made today, if the nation still breathes, if it still has the chance of victory, if there is still an escape from the deadly danger it faces, it is thanks to him. He is steadfastness itself. I have never seen him fail or falter, or weaken or tire. He will go his way to the end, and there awaits not the end of his people, but rather a new and happy beginning to an era in which Germandom will flourish as never before. And Goebbels was right. But salvation will not come by the hands of a man, and for that reason Hitler did not prevail. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will requit. Listen, Germans, millions of people look to this man from every land on the earth, still doubting and questioning whether he knows the way out of the great misfortune that has befallen the world. He will show the peoples that way, but we will look to him full of hope and with a deep, unshakable faith. We stand behind him with fortitude and courage, soldier and civilian, man, woman and child, a people determined to do all to defend its life and its honor. He may look his enemies in the eye, for we promise him that he does not need to look behind him. We will not waver or weaken. We will never desert him, no matter how desperate and dangerous the hour. We stand with him as he stands with us. In Germanic loyalty, as we have sworn, as we shall fulfill, we do not need to tell him, for he knows and must know. Fuhrer command, we will follow. We will, we feel him in us and around us. God give him strength and health and preserve him from every danger. We will do the rest. And here, of course, in spite of his references to God, Goebbels attributes to Hitler a position which Christians should reserve for Christ. So Goebbels continues, Our misfortune has made us mature, but has not robbed us of our character. Germany 
is still the land of loyalty. It will still celebrate its greatest triumphs in the midst of danger. Never will history record that in these days a people deserted its Führer, or a Führer deserted his people. And that is victory. We have often wished the Führer, in happy times, our best on this evening. Today, in the midst of suffering and danger, our greeting is much deeper and more profound. May he remain what he is to us, and always was, our Hitler. Adolf Hitler was a godly and pious man. That's why the Jews hate him so much. His writings and his speeches prove beyond doubt that he had faith in God and that he was well aware of the machinations of the enemies of God by which they were engaged in subverting all of Christian society. But he was not God. Joseph Goebbels, in a position which he had in National Socialist Germany, was obliged to extol the virtues of Germany's leader and excite the people into rallying behind that leader. So while Goebbels had proclaimed adoration for Hitler, which seems to have bordered on worship, even he was careful to describe Hitler as a man and Germany as a nation under God. And while the propaganda of Goebbels was quite effective, and most every German did indeed rally behind Hitler, even that, in the face of insurmountable odds, did not give Germany the victory. But a lesson we should see in this is clear, that in the face of such incredible odds, and even in the clutches of defeat, Joseph Goebbels maintained his faith steadfastly until the end, and in this he will eventually be vindicated. Ultimately, he will have the victory. Today, whether we happen to like it or not, we must stand with Hitler and Goebbels in the same battle against this world Jewish supremacy. If we are to prevail in the end, we too must have that same faith which Goebbels exhibited here. But we must have it in Yahshua Christ, and not in any man. Having one element of the battle will not give us the victory, unless we also possess the other element of the battle, because vengeance belongs to God, and when we finally obtain it, only God will get the credit. While Hitler and Goebbels understood the nature of the enemy, they did not know who they themselves were and why their nation was being tried in the fire as it was. Identity Christians assert their knowledge of those things. And therefore, as Peter had written in his second epistle, we also have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawns, and the day star arises in your hearts.
Thank you for listening. I will be here Friday, God willing, with the continuation of my presentation of Paul's epistle to the Colossians. Next Saturday, I will leave to be announced. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and good night. Let me pray.